Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to just start this today as we continue in the series, The Greatest Gift of All. And I really, last week, I read this out of, I believe, the NIV and the Mirror Translation, but I'm just going to go right to the Mirror Translation. And we're going to read this at the beginning of every message this month because I really want us to get this idea of this gift that we have, the greatest gift of all called Jesus. Let's start here in verse 16. You can read along with me if you want on the screens. It's also in your YouVersion app, and it should be online, right on screen for you guys. Let's read this together. The entire cosmos is the object of God's affection. Isn't that cool? The entire cosmos, the universe, everything we know, including us. How many know we're part of the creation? We are the object of God's affection. This is so beautiful. Look at this. And he is not about to abandon his creation. The gift of his son is for humanity to realize their origin in who? In him who mirrors their authentic birth. You're made in his image and likeness. And for some of us, it's like, I don't, I don't see that because you're not seeing like he sees you. And when you start to see yourself correctly, it's going to change everything. But look what he says here. Begotten not of flesh, but of the Father. In this persuasion, the life of the ages echoes within the individual and announces, look at this, that the days of regret and sense of lostness are over. Say, no regrets. This is cool. But look at verse 17. You always got to read this together for proper context. God has no intention to condemn anyone. Now, how many have maybe heard a different version of God that's different than this? I'm not saying that we have it all down and know it all because we're on a journey, right? But the one thing I know is that God is not in the business of condemning us. It's his love, it's his kindness, it's his grace that draws us to a mind change, that draws us to repentance. But look at this, God has no intention to condemn anyone. He sent his son, this is huge, not to be the judge, but the savior of the world. You ever thought about that? Jesus didn't come to judge the world, he came to save. There's a big difference between judging and saving. And so for a lot of us, we're we're trying to, to shift our mindset to see this in the right text, so in the right context. So the gift, or I should say the greatest gift ever given, we know was Jesus. And we could even say this, it was God giving himself. And so we have this greatest gift of all, Jesus. But we started last week talking about unwrapping this gift of Jesus and how it has so many layers, right? There's so much to discover. There's so much that we need to awaken to, awakening to what's always been, right? What's always been available to us. You know, sometimes um, I think we're under the assumption that when we ask God for something, he says, okay, I guess I'll give it to you because you're good enough. But the thing is, he's already given us everything for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. And this was over 2,000 years ago. And if you really want to get tripped out, you guys want to go on a mind trip today without drugs? It says that he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Whoa, say whoa. See, we have to get past this idea that God takes issue or has taken issue for thousands of years with us as human beings. 
The issue he has is with sin. And it's not because, oh, I can't stand you because you're sinning. You know why you sin? Because you don't know who you really are. The, the way, I found the way to stop sinning is to realize that that is not who I am. And so God has always hated, I mean, come on, as parents, we hate anything. We're against anything that hurts our children. Come on. And so that's how God is. So we know that there's a wage for sin, and sin pays the wages, not God. I want us to get this right, because if we don't, we start to correlate God and put him into this box of he's the punisher. You ever seen that show on Netflix? You're like, no, we're Christians. But the point is, we think he's the punisher, but he's not. He's not vengeance. You think about the verse, it says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And we go, yep, see, he's going to get his vengeance. But what if God was saying, hey, listen, vengeance is not yours. That's mine if I'd like to take it, but I choose not to. I mean, we can take any scripture verse, and I know people probably, oh, you're, you're twisting stuff. Listen, Jesus is the lens through which I see the Father, I see the world, I see people. And Jesus was not vengeful. If he was, then it would have been a whole different story on the cross, right? It would have been like, he would have been on the cross, he would have went, and they would have ripped the other one like this, and he would have pulled out an Uzi and shot everybody, you know, because that's what we see on movies for vengeance, but he didn't. He took it like love does. He said, this is what love looks like. It's, it's absolutely beautiful to me, and this is what God, that's a full display of God on the cross. But there's so much to discover, there's so many layers within this gift of Jesus. Now, how many are familiar with the parfait? Anyone here? A parfait is a dessert consisting of layers of like ice cream and whipped cream and fruit and chocolate. Jean Gearhart makes a really awesome parfait. Anyone partaken of that parfait before? It's like pudding and chocolate and strawberries and just whipped, just all kinds of awesome goodness, right? But parfaits are these different layers and levels. And I, and I think about this, this story of Dairy Queen. Say Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen was not introduced into my life till I was about eight or nine. And I thought, wow, this place is like heaven on earth. And I remember we would go to Dairy Queen. And actually, the Dairy Queen that we went to was located right by the, the first church. I'd say the first building we owned. We started out in a hall. But on Burton, in Burton, Michigan... On the corner, I think it was Bergen and Barn Street. I still remember. I used to mow the lawn there. But we had this Dairy Queen that was just up the road and over. And so I started going to this Dairy Queen. And it was awesome because I would go in. And I started out with, with ice cream cones. Anyone ever had an ice cream cone? So I started with these ice cream cones. And then, then I started to level up because I realized they had these dips you can dip them in. You ever got those dips? Chocolate, strawberry. You could even swirl, get a little crazy with it. But see, when I went in, I was young, and my parents would say, okay, you can get an ice cream cone, or you can get a sundae. Anyone had a sundae? And so I could get strawberry or chocolate or fudge and some different things on it. But I remember one day we went in, and I was ordering my cone or getting ready to, and this person was right next to me ordering. And the, the person behind the counter, they, they slid this parfait over the counter to the person. And I looked at it, and I was just mesmerized. I'm like, what is that? The person behind the counter says, that's a peanut buster parfait. Jesus. I mean, layers of goodness. Vanilla ice cream and fudge and peanuts. 
ice cream and fudge and peanuts, ice cream, fudge and peanuts. It was layered. And I said, Dad, I mean, dare I ask, Dad, can I get one of those? He goes, sure, son. And for I don't know how many years after that, every time I went to a Dairy Queen, my parents already knew what I was getting, the peanut buster parfait. Layers of chocolatey, vanilla-y, if that's a word, peanutty goodness. It was so good. I'm getting hungry now. Let's go to Dairy Queen. But I think of all these different levels, and it reminds me of the greatest gift of all. It's Jesus. And there's so many layers to this gift. There's so many layers of goodness. And I, meant that, I believe that we're meant to discover all this goodness as we continue through life. It's kind of like this. I would go to Dairy Queen and all I knew was an ice cream cone. And then eventually I'm like, whoa, 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 you got a, a little dippity dippity do there to put it in. That's awesome. And then I would get a Sunday. And I remember this. Do you guys remember this? They used to do the Sundays and they had these collector's baseball helmets that you could get them in. Come on, Bruce, you and I are old enough. We remember this, right? And I thought that was so cool because I wasn't even in the baseball, but it was a toy, I guess. But I would get all these things and it was cool. But then I would discover all these levels. And then I went to the peanut buster parfait and then from there, my God, I, I left Dairy Queen and went to these other places. And next thing you know, I got donuts and brownies and all kinds of stuff in there. All kinds of goodness. But see, that's how it is with the gift of Jesus, at least for me. What was your experience like when you first discovered Jesus? It was like, this is amazing. The peace that I have, I mean, the grace that he's given, this is so cool. But then have you ever just been trudging along through life and the Holy Spirit shows you something else? You go, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, there's chocolate dip too? Maybe not chocolate dip, but something new and fresh, right? And then, and then you're going along through life a little farther. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not just chocolate dip, but there's hot fudge and there's whipped cream and there's nuts and there's a cherry on top. That's what grace and love and kindness and all these things are that we discover. And so it's multi-layered. And so I would say, if I didn't awaken to the many layers of what Jesus had to offer, I probably wouldn't be here today. I probably wouldn't even be pastoring today. Because if it's just you come to an altar and pray a prayer so someone can stamp a ticket to somewhere in the sweet by and by, guess what? I don't know. Why should I continue following Jesus? What, what more is there? But then you begin to discover all these incredible layers of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to accept his sacrifice, what it means to accept sonship in a kingdom, and everything changes. Game changer for my life. How about you? And so we have all these different layers that we're going through, but we know that the main theme of Jesus is salvation. It's deliverance, rescue, healing, and wholeness. And I know for me, there's still areas and facets of my life that I'm discovering deliverance, healing, and wholeness in. How about you? And so I think it's beautiful. I mean, that's why the apostles, they tell us to work out our salvation, work out everything that's already been worked in. Think about this. You are a living, walking, breathing parfait. And you're perfect and you're delicious. I'm getting more hungry now as I talk. But I want to get in this today. As we talk about the greatest gift, let's talk about this, the gift of forgiveness. Say forgiveness. forgiveness. This is a really big deal. And 
I'm not speaking necessarily about you forgiving others. It's more this religious idea of God's forgiveness toward us. See, there's a lot of ideas out there about how we get and how we keep forgiveness. You know, are we forgiven because we confess every sin? Are we forgiven because we forgive other people? Are we forgiven because we, we make up for it and we stop doing it? I mean, there's a lot of ideas that are floating around out there. But here's the thing. What is the truth about forgiveness? You see, we can have an understanding that all things are new in Christ, that I have this new life in Christ, but not understand total forgiveness. This was me at one time in my life. And when I didn't understand what that meant, and I'm not saying I've arrived, I'm still learning, I'm still seeing, but I have a much better grasp of it than I used to. Anyone here about this idea of forgiveness? What happens in that scenario is it causes us to have a belief system that says, okay, okay, I'm new, I could accept that. Um, I'm even accepted by God. I'm in relationship with this heavenly father, with this deity, with this God, with this divinity somewhere so now I better go and live like it. I had better keep it up, right? Now I've got to prove somehow and show everybody that I'm a true Christian. Now let me say this. There's nothing wrong with living like a follower of Jesus. I think more of us should. Can I get one amen on that this morning? But we go into this idea that now I have to prove to the world. I have to prove to God. I have to prove to myself that I'm forgiven, and it's just a never-ending cycle. You'll never feel good enough. You're, you'll never feel worthy enough. Without understanding our total and complete forgiveness in Christ, you know what happens? We feel pressure. We feel pressure to perform. And then what happens is we become afraid to fail. Again, without understanding our total and complete forgiveness in Christ, we feel pressure. We become afraid. Listen, we're afraid to mess up. You ever been like that in this life? Where you're just afraid to mess up and you're like, I, I, I don't even know what to do. I'm really trying. I'm trying hard, but I'm even afraid to mess up. So maybe I just don't do anything so that nothing happens and I don't mess up. And I just think that's the wrong way to view this life in Christ. It leads to a life where not failing becomes the goal. I, I mean, at least for me, this is where I was. You're a Christian, yeah. So, like, if I was totally honest and someone said, okay, you're a Christian, what does it mean? It just means that, that um, my whole goal in life is to not fail. I got to live right. And if I don't, I better ask forgiveness because then God turns his back on me and there's this whole dichotomy, this whole thing that's going on. And, and so I struggle and there's pressure and I'm trying hard to make sure that I'm living as perfectly as I can. Now, now again, nothing wrong with living as perfectly as you can, but what's the motivation? If the goal becomes not failing, we've missed it because in turn you lose sight of the relationship. I never want my kids to struggle with their identity and whose they are. I never want my kids to think that the ultimate goal in life is to not fail because guess what? They're human beings. They will fail. But what do we do through those failures? We learn. And so what happens 
in this walk with God is we begin to lose sight of who we are and whose we are. And let me just be blunt about it. It makes life a living hell. It's hell on earth. Being in performance mode, trying to make sure that we don't fail. It's a life where you never measure up. And I was there at one point. Now people could say, well, I mean, that's not necessarily what you were being taught. I know, but that's what I believed. And what you believe is what you're going to walk out in life. Right? That's why it's so important to accept the sacrifice of Christ, to accept the free gift of salvation. Because if you don't accept it, it means you don't believe it. If you don't believe it, you'll never walk in it. You'll never benefit from it. Does that make sense? So what happens in essence is you trade in knowing Christ on a moment-to-moment basis. Think about that. For a life of behavior modification or prevention. And so now instead of pursuing relationship, enjoying every moment there is to enjoy this communion that we have with the divine. We trade that in for trying to not mess up. Our goal becomes not failing. Probably one of the most freeing aspects of understanding our forgiveness is that it gives us the freedom to fail. Someone needs to hear this this morning. It gives us the freedom to fail. Now listen, we're, we're not trading the relationship with God in for a goal to fail. Like you don't wake up and go, man, how many times can I fail today? This is awesome. Well, of course not. But it's so important that we, that we don't trade this relationship in for trying to live perfectly. This gives, a, gives us freedom to fail. Listen, Again, failing isn't the goal, but it allows us to, I believe, walk by his spirit without the pressure to perform. If anyone here, without a show of hands, just think in your head, have you ever felt in this walk with Jesus this pressure to perform? Yeah, me too. And I don't believe that's what true relationship, a love relationship anyway, is all about. It's, it's understanding that there's going to be failings. There's going to be issues in life because we're human. Have you ever felt like you were in performance mode? Now, whether it's on the job, in a relationship, uh, with a parent, in life in general, it's really stressful, isn't it, being in performance mode? When we take performance out of the equation, guess what happens? We walk in a freedom and joy that we didn't have before. And I'd really like to piggyback this on what we talked about last week when it comes to the gift of faith. When we're in performance mode, we're literally taking faith or trust out of the equation. I've often said this to people, that living by the law doesn't take faith. You have a list there. You're being told what to do. But faith, I'm telling you, the first time I heard this idea of the grace of God and that I'm not under the law, but I'm under grace, that there's this law of love that's been literally, the the Greeks has sown into my heart. I thought, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Give me some parameters, man. It's, It's better to have a list, especially my personality. I love lists. I love checking lists off. It feels really good. My wife gives me a list. I go to the store. I look at that list. You know how gratifying is to just have all the checks in place? And so as humans, we have this tendency to want a list to check off. But God's saying, do you trust me? 
I'm like, yeah, I trust you. Can you give me the list, please? And he's like, no, no, you don't need a list. You have love. Love's your parameter. Love's your guide. Be led by love and you'll make the right decisions. You're like, no, 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 no. No, that's hard. Because some people say, oh, that's just, you're trying to preach and make it easy. You think living a life led by love is easy? You must, you, maybe you haven't tried it before. Because there's times where I fail to walk in love. Anyone else here with me? So by no means is it easy, but I believe it's doable because the God of love, who is love, resides on the inside of me. And so it's this life we're awakening to that. But again, when we're in performance mode, we're literally taking faith or trust out of the equation. But when we get out of the performance mode, we're choosing to walk or live by faith. And the cool thing about walking by faith, the awesome thing about living by faith is that it's pleasing to the Father. I use this example a lot because I'm a dad, but I'm so pleased when my children trust me. When they take me at my word, it's so pleasing. When they trust what I say to them, it's so pleasing to me. How about you? So my goal, in, my goal is, and I would say always will be, to please the Heavenly Father. I think sometimes people think, well, if you live a life led by grace and love, then, then, I mean, and if there's no threats, then why am I doing this? Because I want to please Heavenly Father. That's why. I mean, that's, that's never stopped in my heart. I still want to be pleasing to Him. I want Him to say, well done, good and faithful servant, good and faithful son, well done. You, you were led by love. You made such great decisions, son. And even in those bad decisions, you learned from those things and you matured and you grew. And now, and now look at you, right? It's so great to look at our kids as they grow up and go, wow, look at you now. Look at, sure, you've made some bad decisions, haven't we all? But look at the man, look at the woman you've become. It's so beautiful. Why would the Father, the Heavenly Father, be any different than that? So again, I will always have this goal of pleasing my Heavenly Father, but it should never be based on my performance. It should never be based on your performance. It should be based on your faith and your trust in His story about you. But going back to the topic for today, what does the Apostle say about our forgiveness? I love this here in his letter to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. Let's start in verse 13. It says, When you were dead in your sins... And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, what did God do? God made you alive with Christ. Now, there's some powerful things being said here. The first thing I see, which kind of blows my mind, is God didn't ask my permission. Do you see anywhere that, where God said, listen, you're dead. And we could literally say the Greek rendering of that is asleep. You're asleep in your sin. You're dead in your trespasses. I gotta ask your permission. Can I make you alive in Christ? Do you see a permission thing there? It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Now here's the beauty of it. The beauty of the gospel is God's already done it, but what do we have to do? Accept it. Receive it. Why? Because you won't walk in it unless you do. Does that make sense? Look at this. He forgave us all our 
sins. Have you seen the A-L-L there, the all? My dad used to have the joke. He goes, now that all in the Greek is really deep. It means all. I'm like, dad. We all laugh, right? But all your sins, forgiven. Look at this. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Now, I want you to hear these words. Having canceled the charge. And there was a charge against you of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. What stood against us and condemned us? A legal charge. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. I want you to see something here. God wasn't holding this against you. The legal charge was. Condemnation doesn't come from God. It comes from the law. This is what Paul tells us, right? I mean, it brings death to us. And the law had its purpose, and it was beautiful. It was showing us what it looks like to live out kingdom life, but it wasn't the end all. In fact, Jesus came to not abolish the law, but fulfill. And if we understand what that means, what he was doing was he was trying to give us a proper interpretation according to what a Jew would think about abolishing and fulfilling of what that law was to mean. But then he says, a new commandment I give to you. And the cool thing is, is really all the commands are summed up in one command and it's love others not as you will, but as I have loved you. And I said it earlier, this is not the easiest thing to walk out in life, is it? But I want, to, I want you to see that he canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. You were not indebted to God. Okay? You were indebted to sin. And he canceled the charge against you. He forgave you of all your sin. In fact, the message says it like this. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. Say, it is finished. Famous words, right? But for a lot of us, we don't live like it's finished. Like it just started. And now i got to somehow keep it going, and my main goal is to never fail. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. I mean, you can say, well, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying let's respect what God has done for us. Let's take it as true and see it as truth and walk according to it. Let's call it what it is and speak it out with clarity. Speaking to all you preachers out there, let's speak this out with clarity. Because the church has been known for thousands of years since it was established to try and control and manipulate people through fear. Fear of God, fear of hell, fear of all these things that will happen to you when really God's saying, I've forgiven you of everything. Will you receive it? It's harder to control people in a situation like that. And for some of us, with good intentions, we, we, we feel like we, if we can control people, we'll help them live better lives. But the thing is, sometimes people, without failing, they're never going to learn. I know in my life, when I failed, sometimes I learned a lesson, sometimes I didn't. I'm getting better at learning lessons now. But how many know that 
usually when you fail, you're like, ooh. Uh, it's like your, your child, when, when they're little, you tell them, don't touch the stove because it's hot. Well, if they happen to touch the stove, now they're like, oh, you were right, you were right. Guess what? They don't touch the stove again because it's hot, right? The same thing with life. You, you learn these lessons and hopefully you grow and you mature through them. So again, let's call it what it is and speak it out with clarity. Now, what's the benefit to this life? Because I am totally forgiven and in a loving relationship with God, look at this, I can be real, I can be transparent, I can be open and honest with my Heavenly Father. This is what you were talking about this morning, Pastor Kristen. Just being able to be open and honest. First of all, you can't hide anything from God. Right? So why do we try to? I mean, the first story, the creation story of humanity, what, what do we see? We see man trying to hide themselves from what they had done from God. But the most beautiful thing I see in that story, and I don't know how for so many years I missed this, is that God never left them in the midst of their mess-ups and their failings. He didn't even wait for them to come to him. Does that blow anyone's mind? You ever thought, how did I miss this? It's like, for some reason, instead of starting the sense of our origin from God calling us very good, we choose to go to the fall. God's plan for you, the way he sees you, has never changed. The way you see yourself has changed. The way you see God has changed. And because of that, we do some crazy, radical stuff that does not line up with who we are. Is that making sense? But we see, what we see in that story is God literally comes to them and then does everything he can to make them feel comfortable with him. He does all the work to make them feel comfortable with him. We see that in the life of Jesus. There were people who weren't sure about Jesus. I mean, Jesus, there's no way that he could hang around me, but he would go to people. He would spend time with people. He would sit and eat with people, which in that time was a big deal. When, when you ate with somebody, it was like break, breaking bread was like breaking covenant. You were saying, I accept them where they are. That wasn't something that was done unless you agreed with their lifestyle. And Jesus decided to, to the point where people knew this Jesus, and when he would come to their region, they would flock to meet him. Why? Because they already knew that Jesus would accept them right where they were. That's what I want my life to look like. That's what I want my life to be like. And through the failings and through, the, through me projecting things onto God and people through my life, I've learned something. If I don't truly believe that I'm forgiven and accepted in the beloved, then I will look to find someone who I think's lower or worse than me, so I'll feel okay with myself. This forgiveness thing goes really deep. So what I found is, as I begin to accept my place in the beloved, accept my place in the family, accept my place in the kingdom, it's like 
my view has changed of people. No matter what background they come from, no matter what lifestyle they have. Now, I may or may not agree with their theology or ideas or beliefs or their lifestyle, but it's like I don't withhold love from people because they're different than me. And to me, that's Jesus. That's who Jesus is. That's how he functions. I never saw a line drawn by Jesus to say, you can't cross this line because you're not good enough. The only lines in the sand that he would draw were against religion and systems that would make people feel less than who they truly were. And so it challenges me. I mean, I catch myself. We're just talking about this at family night. You can catch yourself sometimes. You say something like, whoa, I still got a tinge of something in there that isn't kingdom. It's not right. Just by what I said. But at least I'm catching it. And so it's in that time of failing that I catch those things and go, whoa, okay. You know what, Holy Spirit? I I need a paradigm shift. I need to see things differently here. Let your love be the guide in my life. Break down those walls of division. Break down those, those false ideas and those lies that, that I've believed with good intentions for many years so I can see people for who they truly are. So I can see you for who you truly are. So I can see myself for who I truly am. But again, it's all about forgiveness. Because I am totally forgiven and in loving relationship with God, I can be real I can be transparent. I can be open and honest with my heavenly father. The apostle Paul said, if God is for you, who can be against? Right? And not only do I experience a freedom to fail, but I experience a freedom to be real. Let me say, least, I experience a freedom to be myself. See, sometimes religion has told you Here's the box you should fit in. And God's like, I never gave you a box. I gave you a personality. I gave you emotions. I gave you gifts and talents and a calling. Stop saying or stop living in someone else's box for you. Be yourself. And sometimes we're afraid of that, aren't we? Well, I've seen when I've been myself. No, no, no. We're talking about your true self. There's a big difference here. But it's great to be in a life where you no longer have to wear a mask. You no longer have to pretend. Because I realize I am good to go no matter what. That's how the Heavenly Father sees me. Sometimes I think that there are those who really want to believe in this total and complete forgiveness thing. They really want to accept it as true. But they think that maybe they can't be in a relationship with God or at least not an intimate or close relationship with the divine because of some behavior or some addiction that they deal with, because of some shame in their past. They feel hopeless. They feel separated. And it's ironic because the very healing that they need for their hopelessness is always within their reach. Now listen to me, it's always within their reach because their actions 
never had the power to separate them from God in the first place. There's nothing you can do to separate yourself from God. But we think that we have some some like supernatural power to sever the very lifeline that keeps you animated, breathing, and living. Come on, that doesn't even make sense. He breathed into you, into your nostrils, the breath of life. You're living because of him. Now you might be living out of false identity. You might not see who you truly are. But the very fact that you're here this morning and sitting and breathing and listening and hearing and seeing is because of God. Does this make sense? Are you not convinced of this? Well, the Apostle Paul, he was. He said in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 says, For I am convinced, say convinced. This word in the Greek is the word patho. It means to trust, to be fully persuaded, to listen, and to yield to. He's saying, listen guys, I am fully convinced, I am fully persuaded in this journey that I've had with God, in my failings and my successes, I begin to listen and yield to this idea. What's the idea, Apostle Paul? What is it that you're so very convinced of? He says that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing, which by the way includes you, because you're a created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a long list, Paul. That's a really long list to be convinced of. It's like he left nothing out. He said, if you're not convinced, I'm just going to throw this in there. Anything created, anything you see, including you and me, cannot be separated from the love of God. So why is it that people feel separated from the love of God? Because they don't see themselves for who they truly are. And I'm talking about born-again Christians Brothers and sisters who go to church every Sunday, who work in departments, who go to soup kitchens. I was, I was reading the story of Mother Teresa. Does anyone know Mother Teresa? Have you heard her name before? We don't even, we don't even know her last name. No, we do. But, but like I just say Mother Teresa, you're like, oh, yeah. I mean, you could know 16 Teresas, and you, but Mother Teresa, and you know. Do you know that even on her deathbed, she still didn't feel good enough or worthy or like she had done enough? And she gave her whole life to help people. I mean, just study her life. It's like, wait a minute, you didn't feel worthy? You didn't feel good enough? You barely felt like you were worth a relationship with the Father? You've done a thousand times to help people what I've done in my lifetime. And you still struggle with identity. See, this forgiveness thing runs really deep. And there's only one, I should say there's only one, according to scripture, accuser. And we could say that's outside forces. We could say that's people. We could say that's ourselves, right? Accusers, slanderers, people who put us down. But God is not the accuser. In fact, he wiped the slate clean. Complete forgiveness. This is, this is a big deal. 
Often we either hear the message preached or we even preach to ourselves that we're failing to live up to God's behavioral expectations. But let's be honest. Mistakes are part of being human. Now, again, that's not the goal. I don't want anyone walking away saying, Pastor Andy said mistakes don't matter. Well, they do matter because I've made some mistakes that have really hurt. (laughs) I mean, they've hurt financially. I've lost relationships. I mean, the wages of sin is death. It's not a good thing. But can we learn through those failings? Can we learn through those missteps or those shortcomings? Can, can, we, can we mature through the process and realize, wow, that's not for me, and move on to the next phase of life that is for you? That's really what it's about. Say forgiveness. Say forgiveness is a big deal. Say this, I am forgiven. We sang that song today but do you really believe it? There's so many times I have sang songs, I've read scriptures, I've said things, and if I were totally honest with you, I'd say, I don't really believe this about myself. But keep singing, keep saying, keep reading until you do believe the truth about yourself, and that's God's truth about you, amen? So what do we do? We get to make the choice of trusting God, of having complete faith in God, knowing that we are a human being in relationship with God, discovering the truth of who he is and who we are. Now, I know some of us who might think, well, but, but pastor, I still struggle with sin. I have addiction in my life. And I get that. I think all of us, if we were completely honest, we'd say, yeah, I've got some issues. I struggle with things. You know, it could be drugs, alcohol, it could be anger, it could be pornography, it could be lust. I mean, we can go through all this list of things that we struggle with. And I'm telling you, every one of us in here, we've got something on the list. Maybe a few things on the list. Maybe some things that we're, we're ashamed of. Well, stop feeling shame and realize that you can rise above that. But first of all, you have to realize that you're completely and totally forgiven. This isn't a license to sin. It's a license to live righteously. And you have the power to do it. It's given to you by God. But the problem with sin, and it's always been the problem uh, from the creation story, is that sin negates, it undermines, or it even misrepresents the truth of who you are. No matter how pretty or how ugly this is, I heard someone put it like this. Behavior becomes either an authentic way of expressing the truth of your good creation or an effort to cover up, that's that performance mode, the shame of what you think of yourself. So which way are you going to go with it? There's, there's just one of two ways. Because understanding your forgiveness, it awakens you to your true identity and in turn results in behavior that reflects that identity. Amen? Now again, I never said that behavior doesn't matter. Behavior does matter. But the way we get to, or I would say the way that we walk out that behavior does. And it always, always, always starts with understanding your complete and total forgiveness. This is an amazing gift. Forgiveness is an amazing gift. That's why Peter says this. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness 
into goodness knowledge, into knowledge self-control, into self-control perseverance, into perseverance godliness, into godliness mutual affection, into mutual affection love. Now listen, he just gives you this whole list. Now don't freak out on me. This list is showing you what it looks like to walk out true identity. All right? And you're going to find in life that the more you awaken to who you are, the easier it is to live this way. With, without even trying. It just flows out of who you are. But look at this, verse 8 of Second Peter verse, or chapter 1. He says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, we could say you're maturing in these qualities, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Jesus Christ. But look at this. But whoever does not have them, have what? These qualities... If you, if you read through that list, you're like, man, I've got like two of 16 things on that list. He tells us why. Whoever does not have these qualities or have them is nearsighted and blind. Listen to this. Forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Now you tell me that forgiveness is important. Not understanding that you've been cleansed from your past sins is not important. The very way that you walk out life depends on what you think of your forgiveness. Are you not convinced? I'm going to read this again in the mirror translation. He says, in worship, you will find a genuine fondness for others. At the heart of everything that faith unfolds is the agape love of God. Look at verse 8. While you diligently rehearse the exact qualities of every divine attribute within you, say it's within me, the volume will rise with ever-increasing gusto, guarding you from being ineffective and barren in your knowledge of the Christ life displayed with such authority and eloquence in Jesus. Now I want you to hear verse 9. If anyone feels that these things are absent in his life, they are not. I mean, come on, that statement right there is like, what? I mean, he, what he's saying is, it's already in there. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to find it somewhere else outside of you. These qualities are already there. And look what he says. Spiritual blindness and short-sightedness only veil them from you. This happens when one loses sight of one's innocence. Or forgiveness, we could say. I like that word innocence, though. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Say that. I'm innocent. When you lose sight of this innocence, it's that spiritual blindness and short-sightedness that veil the qualities from you. Listen, I know a lot of you here. I don't know everyone watching online, which welcome YouTube. It's great to have you with us this morning. But you think about this. Each one of us, and the ones that I know, your goal in life is to have these qualities, to exude these qualities, to live this out. It really is. And, and what the scriptures are telling us is that it's already there. They're just veiled from you. Why? Because you've forgotten your forgiveness. I don't know. For me, that's just like big moment. And, and let me add this as well. When you really understand this total forgiveness message, you'll do the very thing that maybe you were afraid to do in the past, and that is to forgive others. 
See, God always initiates. We talked about this last week. One of my first, my, one of my favorite scriptures, First uh, John four nineteen. It says, we love because he first loved us. And I said, we could actually say we faith because he first faithed us because faith is a gift. But guess what? We forgive because he's forgiven us. He always initiates. We simply respond to that. And then guess what? We share that fruit with others. Isn't that powerful? Freedom to sin is really just an illusion of freedom. Because I, I hear people say, well, you know, you, you, if you preach too much grace and forgiveness, then people are just going to run off and get crazy. But I found that not to be true. But if that's what you think, then you're misunderstanding what grace and love and forgiveness really mean. Freedom to sin is really just an illusion of freedom. It's freedom from sin that is authentic and real freedom. And that's what I found in my life. So in conclusion today, to really understand and know this truth that sets us free, understanding total forgiveness, it doesn't harden us to God in righteous, upright living. It literally softens us to God, and the response is upright living. Listen, we don't run, we, we don't hide, we don't feel shame. We boldly come to him, and we talk about our issues. This should open us up to the point where we're okay saying, because by the way, he already knows, saying, God, I've got issues. I need help. Sometimes until we can say that with our very mouth, we won't get the help that we need. Not that God's holding out, but we're not open to receive that. Does that make sense? What attracts us to God when we've missed the mark, when we've sinned, is his total forgiveness. To me, if I screw up, if I mess up, you know why I'm attracted to my father? Because I'm like, he's already forgiven me. I used to think that I had to go to him and I had to somehow grovel enough and say I'm sorry enough for him to forgive me. And it wasn't until I realized well, I'm already forgiven. And so instead of asking for forgiveness, I certainly say, sorry, God, that's not who I am. But instead of begging for forgiveness, I'm awakening more to my righteousness and saying, I'm not built for this. I'm sorry, God, that's not who I am. Or I can go to a person and say, I'm sorry, I operated completely wrong. I said the wrong things. I did the wrong things. That's not who I am. I was having a bad day. I was misjudging the situation. Whatever it is, it gives me the freedom to say, I was wrong. Forgive me. Because there's something about asking forgiveness to those around us. But in God's book, this is what blows my mind. He's saying, you're already forgiven. It's a done deal. Accept that and your actions will change. And then what happens is we realize that he truly wants to be our counselor. He wants to be our comforter. He wants to be the one who guides us into all truth. But like I said before, it even gets better. Forgiveness becomes a way of life in that we now offer that same forgiveness toward others. Jesus said, forgive others as I have forgiven you. So one of those layers in this greatest gift of all, the greatest gift that was ever, ever given, Jesus, is what? Forgiveness. Say that with me. Forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for complete and total forgiveness. Man, what pressure that takes off 
to realize that I don't have to earn it. I don't have to deserve it. It's already done. While we were yet sinners, you forgave us all our sin and made us alive in Christ. It's your doing, not mine. But I I pray this morning for those who maybe haven't accepted that free gift of Jesus, accepted that free gift of forgiveness, that this morning they say yes to Jesus, yes to forgiveness. It's something that you provided for us, you've given to us, and it is a gift, it's free of charge. But I pray that we wouldn't only accept that gift, but that we would awaken to how big this gift is. That we would begin to understand how completely forgiven we are. And then in turn, it will begin to deal in our hearts and our souls with those lies that we believe about ourselves and believe about you and others, that you begin to deal with those things, Holy Spirit. You begin to correct those things in our heart, but we'll be open to it because we know we're completely forgiven. You're not there to shame us. You're not there looking down your nose at us. You're saying, I see these things. They're hurting you. Let me deal with them. Let me heal you. Let me bring salvation to your life. And I pray that we'd be open to this, Heavenly Father, that we'd be open to this lifelong journey that it may take years to fully understand, to fully embrace your love, your forgiveness, your grace, your goodness, your kindness toward us. But we would take that first step forward in that gift you've given us called faith and trust you. We would take you at your word, not our word, not someone else's word, but your word. Say this with me, Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of forgiveness. I receive it. I embrace it. Get bold about it. Say, I take it. It's mine. I'm completely and totally forgiven. And just say, thank you, Jesus. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.